From University of Puget Sound, it's What We Do, a weekly podcast about the innovators, teachers, dreamers, and performers of Puget Sound and the stories behind the work they do. Hello, and welcome to another edition of What We Do. I'm Chuck Luce, editor of Arches, the Puget Sound alumni magazine. This week, we have a special guest host, Simone Moore, member of the class of 2020. You might remember Simone from our podcast on the Posse Plus retreat. She's also an Adelphian singer. And this week, she sat down with Rob Hutchinson, professor of music theory and composition, to talk about Take Time, a piece he composed to commemorate the inauguration of President Crawford. Hi, I'm Simone. I'm currently a first-year student studying molecular and cellular biology. I'm also an Adelphian and was able to sing Take Time, which was a piece that Dr. Rob Hutchinson, who I'm sitting with today, um, wrote for the inauguration. So I will let you introduce yourself. I'm uh, Dr. Robert Hutchinson, and I teach music theory, oral skills, composition, counterpoint, orchestration, and jazz theory and improvisation in the School of Music here at the University of Puget Sound. Awesome. So just to kind of talk about the inauguration um, and the wonderful piece that you did. Thank you. Being an Adelphian, I was able to sing it with wind ensemble, as you know, and that was kind of a powerful experience for me. Um, So I just wanted to start at the beginning. What prompted you to write the piece? Well, there was talk going along with the inauguration often, you know, of course there's going to be music. And uh, Keith Ward brought up the idea to the inauguration committee, why don't we have Professor Hutchinson, who teaches composition, write a piece. And uh, Keith Ward also said, and why don't we have it be for the Adelphians and the Wind Ensemble? And they talked it over and decided they wanted to do that. And when we told that to me, I, I sort of had a big gulp because that's, <laughs> that's a big piece to write, to keep track of the choir and then to have, you know, the 25 or 35 staves in the mm-hmm. score that are devoted to the wind ensemble. That mm-hmm. means composing not just for choir, and then I did the piano version, but to have all the woodwinds and brass and percussion to keep track of them to make the parts for it. So it was sort of a big project, and it was coming up uh, close to the window when they wanted it. So the inauguration was March 24th, and they wanted the piece by uh, the beginning of school around January 20th, and this was in October. Wow. Which was three months or so to write the piece. So for me, I was a little nervous about having that small of a window because composers like to have ideas marinate Mm -hmm. for three months or six months or something. So the first step for me was really to to find the text and figure that out. Um, but that's how it came about. It was really it was recommended by Keith Ward, who's the director of the School of Music, to have me write a piece for the Adelphians, who would be there already to perform, and the Wind Ensemble, who would be there already to perform. So just to join those forces. Well, you mentioned the poem. How did you go about choosing text for this piece? So um, once. We decided this was going to happen. They told uh, President Isaiah Crawford, and he sent me an email on October 19th, and and this was probably a week after Mm -hmm. Keith and I wrote to him to say, are there any poems, are any writing or poems that you find inspirational that you think might work? And so I have the email here, and he wrote back, and he said, "Um, I've selected three narratives for you to consider (laughs) as source materials that have held great meaning to me over the years. He said, the first is a short poem by Charles Wesley that appears in Hymns. 
that reads as follows, and here's the poem, it's very short. Faith, mighty faith, the promise sees and looks to that alone, laughs at impossibilities and cries, it shall be done. And, and so for the piece, the, the, one of the first things we talked about was how long should the composition be? Mm-hmm. How much of inauguration are we going to take up with this piece? And first it was four to six minutes, and I said, no, 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 three to five minutes, because I know people in that ceremony, you want to keep things moving rather quickly. Mm -hmm. And so I was leaning towards a shorter piece, but that was too short. And um, I wrote a piece here at UPS for the dedication of Harnett Hall Mm. back in, I want to say, 2006. And that was for the Adelphians, and then just brass and percussion. It wasn't the full wind ensemble. And those texts were selected by uh, then-President Ron Thomas, and it was writings by John Muir and writings by um, Albert Einstein that I was able to put different poems together, different not even poems, but different prose together. So I was hoping to put different things together for this. Well, he had this poem by Charles Wesley, and then he also attached a speech by Theodore Roosevelt, oh, wow. which is two long prose paragraphs <laughs> that I thought that would take 15 minutes to set that. <laughs> and also some of these words really aren't musical when you set them. It's really hard to set mm-hmm. some of these things. So in every struggle for human betterment, one of the main objects and often the only object has been to achieve in large measure equality of opportunity. That's hard to set <laughs> for singers and make it sound musical mm-hmm. and find the rhythm of the language. And so the third piece, of course, was the one that I went with, which was Take Time by Stanislaus Kennedy, mm-hmm. also known as Sis- Sister Stan. And it's this 14-line poem. And so I've set sonnets before, so I'm thinking, okay, 14 lines, mm-hmm. I, can, I can find a form in that. And so... Uh, that take time I looked at it and as I was composing I held on for a long time the idea that I wanted to fit the Charles Wesley short poem somewhere inside of take time and as I got further and further along I realized it I couldn't get it to work I couldn't Mm -hmm. marry the two and so I just decided to set only take time and Mm -hmm. wrote to the uh, the poet and her editors to get permission because it is a published poem right yeah wow well, I'm curious, how did the meaning behind the poetry influence the composition? I, you know, I think in terms of visualization, you know, athletes talk about this, musicians talk about that. And so for me, I start with the visualization of what is the ceremony going to look like in the mm-hmm. field house and what is it going to feel like? And what should the music feel like? So it's very intuitive at that point. Mm-hmm. And we're thinking, I think it's marked in the score. The first thing you see is heroically, right? And so yes. we want it to be heroic. We want it to be this sort of uplifting sort of piece. So for me, I actually didn't start with the text. I started with music. And, and I brought along my little sketchbook where you can see the one, two, three, four, five, six seven melodies that I wrote Ah. trying to set take time just the first line and so uh, for me I wanted the music to make sense even without the the text Mm -hmm. because people you know if you think of all the the verity that you hear these great melodies yum bum 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 everyone can sing the melody you may not know the words they're in Italian and so I wanted to start with the music music that 
felt like it fit this solemn occasion. So I started there and then I worked with the text and I went to the rhythm of the text and said what works because we feel music in four bar phrases. So for me this is very you know technical in terms right. of music and I thought well if I fit you know two, three, take time to live it is what life is for. Take time. Well we think about that there's only a beat or so to breathe. Right. And the choir, if the choir sang all together, so this is one of the puzzles I had to solve, is if I want to stay with four bar phrases, I can't have the full choir sing everything. Mm -hmm. And so I had the idea of trading off between sections. And so we start with, I don't even remember, was it the tenors? We start with the sopranos, mm -hmm. goes to the tenors, goes to the altos, and then the full choir comes in. And so for me, it was really thinking about what is my form going to be? And I looked at the poetry and the 14 lines of poetry and thought, oh, I can do four lines and four lines and four lines. I have two lines left and I can repeat earlier material to make it feel like it's 16 lines. Mm -hmm. So I get four sections. Mm -hmm. And the form I used was a very straightforward form was A, A, B, A. Mm -hmm. which is what a lot of music was from the 50s and Tin Pan Alley, a lot of the early Beatles music. It's the American song form. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so I wanted to do that because I wanted people to hear the music and have it return enough, ideas come back enough, that you can learn the piece as you're hearing it for the first time. Mm -hmm. Because it really is, to me, a one-time piece. contrasting section mm -hmm. because it would get boring if I kept doing the same <laughs> thing over and over again. I, the idea that A returns, but I'm always trying to transform it little by little. So there's variation because if it's too much of a copy and paste and exact repetition, it will get boring.
that's the art is where's the variety in the repetition mm -hmm. so for me uh, the text was more of a puzzle in terms of how do I set this text rhythmically mm -hmm. uh, what are my what's what's the rhythm of the text going to be and then what's the melody that fits that and so for me it was trying to turn the number of syllables into a musical shape mm -hmm. and a two-bar phrase or a four-bar phrase and also thinking of the, the text and the situation inspiring me for what is the nature of the music, how should the music sound. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Well, I have to say, singing it, that definitely makes a lot of sense. <laughs> um, I During rehearsal, a lot of us kept saying, this sounds almost like it's supposed to be theatrical, like it sounds like a movie score or right. something, it, because it's supposed to be popular, it's supposed to be very impactful the first right. time that you hear it but you can still feel the progression from the beginning to the end. There's a story that's told mm -hmm. musically anyway. That's how it feels. So that's just really interesting to know. And I was also wondering about why you chose to stack the parts one after another. So alto, right. soprano, tenor, bass, kind of like that. But it makes a lot more sense when you So it's, it's practical yeah. mm -hmm. in the regard that they wouldn't have time to breathe between phrases mm -hmm. if everyone sang it, but it also gives you this call and response. It also keeps the audience's attention moving from section to section. If you think of it in terms of a movie, it's like when you cut cinematically to a different camera view and a different camera view, mm -hmm. and so it keeps them moving around the sections of the choir. Mm -hmm. So there's always that to think about too, <laughs> the level of interest in keeping your audience engaged. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I mean, that and also the your intent of having the melody be memorable, mm -hmm. that definitely helped with memorizing the piece <laughs> because we also had a very close deadline. Um, Which I knew. Yeah. I knew that the choir would be doing all of these performances ahead of time. I knew the wind ensemble had performances. And so I wanted to make sure the piece was easy to perform and easy to learn, mm -hmm. which is hard to do as a composer. Mm -hmm. It's hard to write music that's easy because usually you want to do whatever you hear. <laughs> and the older and more knowledgeable you go, the things you hear are more complex. Mm -hmm. And so I had to contain myself and really find a melody and a key. I had to think really hard about <laughs> which key is this going to be in? Is it going to be in C? which isn't as good for the band, would it be in B-flat? Well, that wouldn't have been as good for the choir, mm -hmm. and so I let the choir win because they are the focal point of the piece mm. with the words. Did the mixture of having voices and having the wind ensemble play, did that kind of change how you chose to voice the parts? I heard a lot of people also saying that the voices, the voice parts were very, very high. The tenors, in particular. <laughs> well, my wife is Dr. Don Padula, who is the director of vocal studies, and she was involved so much with answering a question almost every hour. I would come upstairs, <laughs> so the music composing room is downstairs, and mm -hmm. the living area is upstairs. And I come and I'd say, "Would you take a look at this and tell me?" That? She's, "Oh, you can write the tenors higher. Oh, they can do this. <laughs> Are you sure? Yeah. Okay. So a lot of it was on her recommendation with recommendation with her knowledge of the voice. Okay. Now she may have been thinking operatic singing or solo singing, and so for the choir singing, they may have been singing maybe, I don't know how to put it, but in a way that, that would feel higher for them than if they were really opening up and singing mm -hmm. solo operatic style. Mm -hmm. um, okay. But I was, I asked a lot of questions about ranges <laughs> and I tried to be very careful uh, because I tend to, being a teacher of music theory, 
and knowing those voice ranges that we teach in music theory, those are really conservative voice ranges, right. really small. And I was ready to stay within those ranges. And she said, oh, no, you can take the mezzos up to an E. And I'm thinking, are you sure about this? <laughs> <laughs> you can take the tenors up to an F or a G. And I'm, I'm just going to stay right around E or F. <laughs> and then, again, as a composer, you hear the music, mm-hmm. right? You hear it, and I hear my first idea, and I hear my second idea. And you have to say, well, realistically, who can sing the first idea? It fits in the sopranos or the tenors range. Mm-hmm. And who do I want to lead off? I want the sopranos because it's going to cut and be have more clarity to it mm-hmm. when you hear it in the in the field house. And the field house is a challenging space. Oh, yes, it is. So the first thing I thought was this has to be a slow piece so that people can understand the words. And the words have to go by slowly as well. So how did it feel to write? Or to be asked to write a piece for the inauguration. It was it was both a real honor and also frightening because <laughs> I knew there wasn't a lot of time to write it. Mm-hmm. And so there's the matter of I'm scared, so I'm going to procrastinate a little bit in the in calling it you know letting it marinate. Mm-hmm. But how long can I wait before I write it? Because the longer I would rate, wait, I knew the better the ideas would get. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew, you know, it's almost like it's working in background in your brain because, you know, I have this piece I have to write. I have this piece I have to write. What's it going to be like? And so I could see the performance, but I couldn't hear the performance. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, I mean, to, to think about an inauguration, I've been here 16 years. I went to uh, Ron Thomas's inauguration, and to see what it's actually like, it is such a huge celebration and a huge event that to get to be a part of the program was really special to get to have any and so I wanted to do a really good job and have a really nice piece for President Crawford. So after visualizing how the piece is going to sound and how you're going to put everything together so that it sounds and comes out a certain way in the field house, how did it feel to actually see it performed and were there any surprises in seeing it performed? The surprises came because I didn't go to any of the choir rehearsals, which were without the wind ensemble, or the wind ensemble rehearsals without the choir, I didn't hear the piece until the two nights before, Mm -hmm. when we finally got the wind ensemble and Adelphians together to rehearse it. And uh, Dr. Gerard Morris, the director of the wind ensemble, uh, talked to me by phone and then right before, okay, here's what we were going to do at this one point where we're going to, I was going to speed up and get to the new tempo, but... Dr. Zofie, directing the Adelphians, did it a different way where he would speed up and then slow way down and then go back into the fast tempo. Mm-hmm. And as a composer, it's really fun to hear new ideas brought to your piece because mm-hmm. you're thinking, I, I didn't imagine that. And let me hear that. Let me consider that. And wow, that's really neat. And it's, and it's a surprise. And mm-hmm. surprises are fun like that. Uh, so that was great to hear it and of course when we were rehearsing it we were trying to get the balance and when we were rehearsing it in the field house we were trying to get the balance so once we finally got to the field house and rehearsed it there I liked what the field house was doing in terms of the reverb mm-hmm. it was really neat I almost changed the last chord of the piece for the band when we rehearsed it in Schneebeck Concert Hall on Wednesday because it was too dry and there were too many people on the chord above the last bass note, so I was just going to make it the bass note. 
when I heard it rehearsed in the field house, it was this boom sort of sound. <laughs> I thought, well, now it works. I'm glad I didn't try. And, and plus, you introduce a level of chaos and worry. Wait, he's changing things at the last minute. So I just held on to myself and knew I was going to leave it. Mm -hmm. um, but it was really neat to hear it with everyone there. And when you get when you your performance got about halfway through I looked up at Isaiah Crawford and he got this big smile on his face <laughs> and I went back and watched the video the next day I'm like that's right that happened and it was just it was magical and again there were a lot of chills other people were saying they got chills but it was really neat to think this is what I wrote it for I wrote it for our president who's having this wonderful ceremony and it was incredibly moving just when he walked into the building and the crowd went crazy and started mm -hmm. cheering and applauding. That gave me chills. Uh, so it was, it was very emotional for me throughout the speeches that were given and overall. And again, I got to be a part of it. And then we had the moment where we, you know, play the piece and you sing the piece. And it just went beautifully. So I was, I was really happy. Well, from the performance point of view, it's interesting to know that we kind of had similar um, worries as far as I mean like singing in the field house with a choir of about like 30 to 40 right. is very scary yeah. especially over an entire wind ensemble <laughs> and knowing that we'd have to deal with mics and then with that issue all of the reverb we're also wondering how is this going to sound how do we have to adjust um, but once we got in the moment and we were standing up there everyone is like present and we performed the piece, it felt so special. I don't know, I don't think I've experienced that kind of moment here yet. Um, so I think that that was probably one of the most, mus like musically anyway, special moments that I've experienced. Um, and even seeing President Crawford just smiling and grinning and feeling so special, it was great. Well, and, and yeah. that's why we keep performing music and mm -hmm. that's why we keep writing it because we have these transcendent moments where it's so impactful on you that it's one of those special moments you remember for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. And I tell my jazz musicians and I tell a lot of people this, for me often that special magical moment often happens in a rehearsal mm -hmm. when you're not expecting it. And that's the thing you keep coming back for. When can we make that magic again? So it's even better when it can happen in a performance when you're sharing it with an audience and offering it to an audience. And I'm so glad that you had that experience mm -hmm. performing it. Yeah. That, that makes it nice for me Yay. to hear that, yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm curious to know, what kind of gets you into your creative space? Like, what's your process when you begin to compose or create a piece? One of the first things I do is, there, there's two things I do. I'll go and play through a lot of really good music by other composers, mm -hmm. but then I'll also go back and play through some of my old pieces because as a composer, you feel like when you finish the piece, you want to say, look at what I did. I'm really creative. I really accomplished something. When you have to begin a new piece, you feel like, I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> And why can't they just play one of my old pieces where I was so creative? <laughs> and it's that sort of, you know, day one. I tell my co composition students this. Day one, I'll spend three or four hours trying to find the piece. And 
and it usually goes badly, and you feel like crying after the first day, <laughs> and you feel really depressed. Mm -hmm. And then the second day, you try the, again three or four hours of just you know playing at the piano, playing other pieces, trying to find something, seeing how brilliant everyone else is, and seeing how brilliant you used to be, and then trying again <laughs> and struggling to find ideas and make decisions. Is this the melody? Again, those seven melodies. Is this it? Is this it? Is this it? Um, and you feel a little bit better, but you still feel a little bit like crying. Mm -hmm. And then once you hit day three or four where you're just attacking it every day, you start to find the piece, you make a decision, this is my melody, mm -hmm. and then you start to develop it. What are the chords that are going to go with it? What are the different ways I can harmonize it? Uh, what are the sections going to be, that AABA form? Mm -hmm. And you start making decisions and the piece starts to come together. So it seems like a lot of it is just... I'm just going to keep trying until I get to this point that I can actually start working from. Yeah, it's it's making decisions. Mm. Um, am I going to have the full choir sing at the beginning or not? Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm, they're not. Okay, so I've made one decision. And which of these seven melodies? Okay, I decide on melody number seven. Okay, so just like making those decisions. This is probably the most practical piece of music I've heard that is still profound. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, you try and put it all together, right? You you have the brains. If you're a professor of music, you have the brains, and then you have to put it together with the practicality of how do I help people perform this? How do I make sure this works? So teaching orchestration, how do these notes uh, play on the trumpet for the fingering? Mm -hmm. Where do they fit in the register? Are they high? Are they low? Is it going to sound froggy if it's too low? Are they going to miss a note if it's too high? And then you're doing that all the way down the page wow. with flutes, oboes, clarinets, bassoons, horns, trumpets, trombones, euphoniums, tuba. <laughs> and for cut, you know, you're doing that for every one of those, for every note you write. And so there again, decisions all the way through, all the way through. You were talking about earlier how you heard Dr. Morris was doing one sort of movement with the piece while Dr. Zopfi was doing another one. And for me, I can never hear this piece without taking a little bit of time. Oh, wow. <laughs> without taking a little bit of a pause before we go on into the final part, like portion of the piece. Um, so I'll always kind of hear it that way. Right. But once we sped it up, it's like, okay, I understand how I can consider that. So I feel like it was wrestling a little bit the yeah. way that you perhaps were well and <laughs> that was a hard it. thing for me to figure out yeah. because how much do i want to mark it up the way it came about with the conductors in rehearsal and negotiating it and dr zofi making it work for the choir i think was the best solution put it into the hands of the performers because mm -hmm. in my head it's really up here right and it's easy to have things that are only in your brain that you hear and it's a lot harder when you have all of these singers and instrumentalists trying to make it work. It's been about two, two weeks since the inauguration, and I know that you're working on another project because you're on sabbatical right mm -hmm. now. Would you mind telling me a little bit about that? Yeah, so the project for my sabbatical is to uh, not write a composition, which is what I did eight years ago on my last sabbatical. I wrote Symphony Number no. 2 for band. Mm -hmm. This time, I've decided to take on the rather amb ambitious task of writing a theory text for all four semesters of music theory, and I want to re-envision the way people study theory, thinking about what we do practically. Um, and 
the, the way I'm really approaching it is to think in terms of phrases. Because one of the problems I see with the way theory is taught now is there's a very strong emphasis on part writing and voice leading for three of the semesters. Mm -hmm. And what I see is a lack of training in melodic understanding, construction of melodies through motives, smaller ideas, mm -hmm. and understanding of all of these harmonies, how do they fit in a four-bar phrase, or if it's a six-bar phrase? And so I want to have a lot more real music examples. I want the students to be analyzing real music, writing real music, arranging music, and thinking in terms of phrasing, and how does harmony fit within the phrase? Um, because I went to this conference two summers ago, and people were saying, there were all these music administrators and other music faculty, mm -hmm. and they would complain about the theory professors saying, our kids don't understand music. We'll ask them a question in rehearsal about something, and they can't, under, they can't connect the theory that they know to the actual music. And I started to think, what are the issues that I'm hearing? And it was uh, matters of relevance. Mm -hmm. What is relevant to what they're doing as performers? And music theory has in a lot of ways been missing that through this emphasis on rules for voice leading things in the style of a Bach chorale. And if I can get on my soapbox, <laughs> um, these part writing rules, such as avoid parallel fifths, avoid parallel octaves, don't double the leading tone. Whenever I go to the movies, whenever I hear pop music on the radio, these rules are broken over and over and <laughs> over again. So to me, it seems the only people who are really caring about these rules are theory professors. So you have me and you have Greg Utes over at PLU who are upset when we go see the movie and we hear the parallel fifths. And everyone else is enjoying the movie and they're <laughs> enjoying the music. And so I want to have less of that sort of doctrinaire, uh, pedantic approach to music and have it be more holistic and understanding all styles of music. Because to me, what I want to have is an example where we can have the same chord progression in, the same, in a four bar phrase and show how Beethoven does it, and show you how Celine Dion does it, and show you how Stephen Sondheim approaches it, and really look at texture. Mm -hmm. How does the texture change? How does the instrumentation change? But it's really the same set of chords. It's the same pattern with a different melody over it. Mm -hmm. So I really want to tear music apart and have more emphasis on texture, on phrase, and harmony within the phrase, and motivic construction of melody to really understand how do we make a melody because I just don't see that happening in the textbooks as I go through and look at them. I keep seeing, here's a new textbook and they start in on the part writing in chapter three. And so I'm pushing my part writing later on in the semester and keep it, or later in the series and keeping it much more contained. Mm -hmm. But I'm really excited about it to try and give the students a better understanding of music and music theory through this approach. Awesome. I can tell you as a student who's taken theory that that would be so helpful <laughs> and once again very practical. <laughs> okay, well, thank you for sitting down and talking to me thank about you for your having wonderful me. composition. Thank you so much. <laughs>
What We Do is brought to you by University of Puget Sound. Join us next Wednesday for another story about what we do at Puget Sound. And if you liked this podcast, rate us on iTunes.